I felt right at home with my next guest, even though we had never met. The Connaught Hotel is a place I've been returning to since I was a child. As my parents' port of call when visiting London, the Connaught has seen me roam its halls, sleep in its beds, and also try smoked salmon for the very first time in the now legendary dining room. We only stopped staying there because now I live in London. Meeting Ago Perone, director of mixology for the Connaught Bar, was like being reintroduced to an old friend after so many years. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by the best in the industry. What can I say about Ago Perone that hasn't already been said? Winner of a myriad of personal awards, including Class Magazine's Best Bartender of the Year and winner of the Bacardi Legacy, now he has led the Connaught Bar to be one of the best bars in the world. Over two episodes, this week and next, we'll explore what it takes to earn such accolades. This week sees Ago deciding what path to take in life, and how that choice led him right to the doors of the Connaught Bar. And next week, what happened after those doors opened. We start his journey in a beautiful part of the world, Lake Como. If I tell you where I grew up, you're going to be very jealous because uh, I was born and grew up in uh, Lake Como. So, uh, my scenario on daily basis was uh, water, mountain, green, nature, and, uh, and that is still uh, really deep in my heart. I was lucky enough to have all this combination of different uh, environments. And uh, being uh, Como is a very little town. There's, there's not much going on. However, there's a lot of influence from uh, from Milan, which is a very fashionable city. The, the position of Como geographically is very strategic because, well, where the water, in a couple of hours you are on a ski resort, a couple of hours you are on the seaside, and you are uh, one hour from Milan. So you have plenty of choice to to plan your weekend and your activities. Were your, you was your family, your mother and father, were they also from Como? My family are from uh, Puglia. Ah, southern. So I always say the... Uh, so you're fiery. I'm fiery. I'm very fiery. So I always say I have a southern Italian origin. I was born and raised in Lake Como, mature in London. <laughs> I love that. So I'm going northern and northern. <laughs> You're getting colder and colder. So, I don't know if... Uh, I don't mind Scandinavia. I like the Scandinavian... Uh, some aspect of Scandinavian life. Or are we going to steer on the left and go to Mexico? Exactly. Let's say. Let's say. Now London is a home since uh, 16 years. And uh, we're very, very much in love with London and what's happening here. So when you were home, would your mother cook Pugliese dishes? Or would she cook, you know, Milanese? Or... I guess Como, but Mama, Lazio. Mama was very busy because she was a teacher. Mm-hmm. So in the in the lunch break as well, she was uh, coming home the same time as uh, as we did. So she, I think, she developed her own style of uh, of a blend of uh, Pugliese. So like Mama used to make, literally, yeah. like Nonna Sorry, that used was, to make. That was like sexist of me to think that maybe your maybe your father was the yeah. cook, right? Yeah, no, no, Mama, she was uh, very much on uh, on the on the fire to to cook. So it was, it was always a good blend because also my father's family, they moved to northern Italy much before it did. And uh, so we had a blend of uh, Pugliese and uh, Comasco all together. So even in uh, when we were meeting, it was, uh, 
Yezadishis and polenta from Como was always a very good, uh, interesting cocktail blend. Well, I always ask that because I find that people who grow up with a lot of different flavors, or at least the people I interview, somehow are drawn to bartending mm-hmm. and to, you know, are very good at making different cocktails. And, you I, know. Think, I think that um, we are very lucky to be from that generation because uh, there is so many good bartenders now that they understand how to blend flavor. But few of us uh, who had the experience on uh, going to your uh, uncle uh, farm, pick up the tomato and smell the tomato leaves, mm-hmm. and smell when you buy the tomato and have the flavor of the fresh one. Is that what you did? Yeah, that's what uh-huh. we did. You know, in the summertime, we were going to Puglia and helping to, uh, to harvest the tomato, watermelon, figs. You know, in my brain, there's still this memory when uh, we were climbing the fig tree and you get dirty with the raisin, they're going to be sticky. And when we do tasting of cocktail spirits or new products, although you understand the flavor, but moreover, there is those memories coming back to you, which is very emotional. Right, of course. And that's what we like to convey. Our personal experience, past, moment, at the moment, when we travel, when we travel, we might stay with uh, luxurious places. We might stay with uh, very local people, like in Oaxaca, where uh, they speak only the native language, which is no Spanish. So you get all those experiences, past, present, from different uh, environments, and you make them into a liquid uh, history, which is a cocktail. Right. Because you want to deliver a little bit of uh, narrative storytelling to your guest, to engage a little bit. And as much as um, we want to try new things, a lot of us, we so fall back on the things we love because of memory. I mean, I order the yeah. bourbon old-fashioned and tequila because those are the things that I love. And, you know, they bring back memories for me as well. I think we have a very good base, and uh, which allow us to be even more uh, experimental without lose the track of what is, uh, what is uh, real or what is uh, sensible as well in the, this uh, modern word of cocktail. Mm. All right, now back to you. Okay. Um, so you're growing up smelling and picking figs and smelling tomato leaves. Um, walking in the mountain. And walking in uh, the mountains and going skiing and living the life of an Italiano boy. Um, did you think that you were going to study something or go to university or what were your plans for when you were young? Since I was very young, I've always been a dreamer. I'm still a dreamer. Sometimes it's a positive, sometimes uh, I need to go back to planet Earth. But uh, my dream, I don't know. I always had this uh, call of uh, traveling to meet, uh, to understand the world, to meet a new culture, new people, really blend with the beauty of the world. And I remember my, my uncle, when we were going on summer holiday, my uncle from Puglia, we were going to summer holiday together. He always had his uh, camera, a yashika, I still remember. So I start to, I start to cultivate this interest of photography. And uh, my parents, they gave me my first uh, camera, you know, remember the, the little square that of you charge from, from, creak, creak, creak. From and you the, put the little four squares exactly, um, exactly. flash on top uh, of it. And start to take picture to everything. Right. And then uh, I grew up slowly, slowly. I bought my first uh, reflex camera. And 
always thought that I wanted to be a photographer. Even when I was going to high school, I was uh, addicted to, to taking photos. I didn't have a style, but I was taking photos to everything. I remember it was uh, a school that was one of those uh, creative, uh, <laughs> creative uh, uh, guys always sitting in the back and... Uh, Never doing your math, no work, right? No math. One of those ones. But uh, I had support from a couple of teachers of mine, which are very amazing. One was a geography teacher. He also was a passionate of uh, photography. So sometimes we were going out together to, to do photos. Sometimes as well, when uh, I was uh, skipping school, I was calling him and say, Prof, Bordonaro, I say, Prof, look, I don't go to school today. You're off today. What shall we do? Because he, he liked Did me he so much. Did he say go back to school? Yeah, no, 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 because he liked me so much. Uh-huh. I say, okay, I want you to go around by yourself. I take you around. We go to take photos together. Fantastic. So yeah. obviously they saw something. In yeah. You. Another teacher was uh, Professor Zabata. I'm still in touch with him after uh, 25 years. He gave me a photography book mm-hmm. as an inspiration, with the Chinese uh, saying uh, proverb saying, uh, "When somebody indicate the moon, look at the moon, look at the finger, like uh, follow your own instinct." Mm-hmm. Don't do what other people tell you to do. And the book at the sentence always. How do you, wait, how do you say that in Italian? I don't remember it. Uh-oh, it was in no. Italian. <laughs> there goes my say, moment. Wait, 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 wait. Se qualcuno ti indica la luna, è quella che devi osservare, non il dito che la indica. Santi la data. All right. Considering that my Italian is uh, getting worse and worse because. Uh, I speak Spanish uh, every day at home with Gabby. Speak English at work with a little bit of Italian because we are uh, 90% Italian. Yeah, uh, I'm very blended. Anyway, my dream was to be a photographer. I started to work in a friend's bar in the weekend because, uh, you know, when you are 16, 17, 18, you want to be with, uh, with people which are, uh, they have more experience than you. And uh, you get fascinated by to see the gate of finishing the school to go into, into the grown-up world. Mm-hmm. So I started to work in a Café Broletto, which is, was my first work as a, as a commis. As and was a this in the town of Como? The town of Como, of Como, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Town of Como. Does it still exist? It, it's still there. It changed the name. It changed property. It changed... Uh, it was beautiful because uh, uh, it was in a narrow street, always in the shade. So in summertime, it was very cool. However, we had table in uh, what is a Piazza Duomo of uh, Como, and uh, we were surrounded by, by fashion shop, by office. So the, the clientele was very high profile. Mm-hmm. It was like a Mayfair of Como, per se. <laughs> so you, you had to deal with, uh, with lawyer, with uh, people working for a clothing brand, uh, manager of big companies. It was fascinating for me. It was, uh, I was still going to school when I started to work. So I was fascinated by this, uh, this grown-up world. And um, still, the photography was always there. Actually, I was doing some photography for events in in the bar and uh, in other discotheques. So I finished the school eventually. They they let me go. <laughs> they let me go, and uh, and my parents they they offered to pay the University of Photography in Milan, which I declined because. Uh, I finished the school, I wanted to be a man already. So I said, no, 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 I go to work, 
I'm gonna sort it out by myself. So I started to work again in a Cafe Broletto for, uh, for one year almost. And then I started to go to some bartending school in Milan. Well, how about your photography? Were you taking photos on the side? Or I was you... taking photos like a hobby, like a hobby on the side. So when I started to work, I, I still always had my camera with me, taking photos everywhere, because life uh, pace changed a little bit. It was on and off, on and off. I started to do some uh, flair bartender training in Milan. So you were bartending and really liking yeah, what I you were doing. It. I you loved, loved it. Yeah. Did you like the bartending part of it, the social part of it then when you were young? I think that's or a, a combination. I think it was a combination of the two because the social part was uh, very, very strong, as I told you, because uh, I was curious. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated to understand those people that were more experienced than me. They, Oh, they take you as a, the the young apprentice. They they teach you life lesson, mm. and I, it was the little one in the in their group there. So it was and the the cocktail making itself. I mean, what kind of things were you making? Uh, talking about twenty four years ago, lime was a rarity, so we were making capirinha capirosca with the lemon, because lime it wasn't available. If you had the lime, you were uh, you were lucky. Yeah, it was a uh, well. We're in Italy, the land of aperitivos. So right. we made the first uh, Campari Shakerato, the first Negronis, uh, Sbagliato. So really for us to make a well-executed aperitivo was very, very important. Understanding different style of ice, but understanding the importance of the ice, the importance of the techniques, making the perfect cafe Shakerato in the afternoon for uh, the ladies uh, mm-hmm. joining uh, for, uh, for just a free time. It was a... There was the romance, was the love in the air mm-hmm. about the, the combination of uh, the cocktail and uh, the social aspect as well. I, I really enjoyed as well making cappuccino in the morning because the, all, all the people working there they were mm-hmm. coming to Broletto for a cappuccino before going to work or for a coffee. So you, you wish them a good day. They come back for lunchtime. You understand the mood, how it was. And then and they come, a family. And then they come back for aperitif as well, and uh, you might be able to, you know, to, to change the mood because they had a bad day. You make a good drinks, a couple of good words, and you set, and you set them free mm-hmm. and happy. So yeah, it was, it was really cool. It was really cool. Then I started to travel a little bit in Italy. I worked a lot in, in my own time, so I did the proper uh, gavetta apprentice. Process, not like. Did the, you have to go to the bartending school before you traveled? Or did you... I did. Uh, I did. Uh, I did one uh, right away. One a uh, few months after. And, and that was in Milan. And the second one in Milano was uh, Treffe American Bartending School. There was. Uh, I love that it's called the American Bartending yeah, School. Yeah, yeah, because at the time was uh, you had the Ibis, the classic one, mm-hmm. and you had the, the time they were uh, freestyle flat bartending huh. however we always had uh, we always had the link to quality drink and uh, hospitality in general the flair was uh, a dynamic way how to serve cocktails mm. and how to engage with people was it really popular then yeah it was very popular it was very popular it, it taught me a lot because uh, apart of the moves because we trained a lot to to be more acrobatic but it taught me a lot because you understand about layout of the bar, how to set up a bar in a more uh, efficient way, rather than have mm-hmm. a ice bucket in front of you and bottles sitting there. So, and then at a certain point, I was uh, 
junior teacher as well in the school. We traveled a lot in Italy to do competition, flair competition. We came second uh, in uh, Italian championship with the Simone, who was my head bartender for uh, about four years. And with Simone came to London, actually. The Simone, Simone. Simone, Simone no, 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 Simone, Simone Maci. Okay. Simone Maci. No, Simone Caporale, okay. is, uh, he came after it. From okay. Como as well, okay. he came after me. So we, we lead the way, yeah. and then he arrived, and uh, he did, uh, he's doing great things. Uh-huh. He's a great guy. So yeah, London was after four or five years that was uh, working in, uh, in Milan, and did a couple of seasons in Sardinia as well. So I tried... Uh, all sorts of different style of um, bars, from discotheque, very late discotheque, to coffee bar, to more uh, refined cocktail bar. Did you do that with a, a specific plan in mind, as if, or did they just come one after the other? They come along, it was very spontaneous. Okay, so it wasn't as if, okay, I want to try this to see what this is no, like. Exactly. No, just, just uh, I feel whoever would have you. I wanted to learn. Yeah. So wherever I had the reference that uh, this person was, uh, was good, that I could learn from, I was going. It was one hour driving from, uh, from home in the evening. So in the daytime, I was driving a couple of hours to go to work. In the evening, drive one hour to go back. But it wasn't, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't bothered because I, I was learning. Mm-hmm. I, was, uh, I was getting something out of it. Was London always on your mind? I want to go to London because I know what's happening there. I mean, it was pretty early. London it? at the time... Talk about 2000. It was a destination for uh, for a few people only because uh, 2000 is early. Yeah, because uh, the places where uh, you could uh, work in a proper way they were uh, much fewer than now. Mm-hmm. It was uh, Milk and Honey. It was a lab. Right. Those were too many Milk and Honey, very classic and elegant. Lab very creative with the, all the new Western uh, and uh, strangest ingredients, uh, lots of homemade ingredients. So those ones they were to destination to come. And did and you know of them in Italy? <clears throat> I never came before uh, when was the opportunity to, to come to work. So Lab was uh, where uh, I think I wanted to to explore a little bit more, um, and uh, and then there was uh, where well, there was a. Uh, the Lesbura, the library bar with the Salvatore Calabrese, completely different style. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the, 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 those three choices really, and uh, TGI Friday, which was very very good. Right. Good training, good bartending skills, uh, very good fun. So was there four different uh, uh, style of bars, and that's it. And four bars. Right. And there is not like now that you have. Uh, 10 hotel bars, uh, 10 uh, speakeasies, right. 10 street bars. In every so, single area of London. Exactly, right. Exactly. 10 in each. Yeah, so mm-hmm. You really had to make uh, your way mm-hmm. um, to, to make a career. It wasn't, uh, nobody gave you nothing for free. But you still wanted London. London, I came to London just because, uh, I have to be honest, uh, it wasn't really in the plan because I was happy in Italy, I had a, had a good job in Monza. Where there is a Formula One GP, mm-hmm. I had my car, I had, uh, my private life was, I was happy. Uh, I didn't need uh, n- nothing else. Simone wanted to come to London. I said, Simone, look, I'm under your wings. So I'm under, under your wings here. If you want to go, I will be under your wings there. So uh, the opportunity came when 
when I was in summer working in uh, Sardinia, I came back. We went back together to Simone and I to Monza to open uh, to open a cocktail bar. And after a few months, we received a phone call from uh, from London. And say to the school where we were uh, teaching, the American bartender school, asking for uh, two Italian people, two Italian bartender, to open a cocktail bar in a new opening restaurant. Say so, wow. They ask you for two, two bartenders. It, it seems perfect. like it's like perfect. Let's go have a look. So we arrived in South Kensington and we met the general manager and, uh, and the chef who I worked with in, in, uh, in Sardinia. So he was the connection <laughs> by, by the, the kind of play, the professionally asking for two bartenders from mm-hmm. Italy. So they called right away the school where I was teaching. There was, a, was a, the link. Mm-hmm. So we, we decided to, to take this opportunity. We moved to London after a couple of months, I think. So the opening was delayed and delayed, delayed. So I did, uh, I think, uh, six or seven leaving party from Italy. Because every time I was like, guys, I'm leaving this week. Let's do a party. The party then. No, guys, I don't go this week. It's delayed. Next week, another party. So yeah, it was funny. Came to London and uh, we started to work on the opening. Lots of challenge because of the barrier of the language. My English was very poor at the time. Um, Simone went back to Italy to fix a couple of things, and then I decided to to stay in Italy. And the bar was not open yet. So, so you were on your own? I was on my own. I said, wow, interesting. What shall I do now? We were already going to lab almost every day off to to meet the bartender, to try to get into the, into the circle of, uh, of uh, those creative people. And uh, we opened, I opened the bar. I don't know how I did it because uh, at the time there was no computer to do the ordering. It was everything by phone. So can you imagine? Me, no speaking English, try to order spirits, uh, fruit and juices and stuff. Thank goodness there's lots of Italian spirits. I know, it was crazy because now the day after you have to work, uh, there is nothing of what you ordered, or what you thought you ordered. Mm-hmm. And then we become very frustrating because you cannot communicate with the supplier to explain that you wanted to order such and such and such a spirit and maybe they send you something else because that's what I right? understood. That's what he asked. Yeah, that's, uh, it was my fault. It wasn't their fault, it was my fault. That was the first uh, slap on the face from London. First uh, learning lesson. Did you take uh, English lessons? I started it to be an English lesson, uh-huh. and then I uh, decided to move from that uh, restaurant because uh, we were uh, lots of Italian, and uh, I see an opportunity. So, Dre Master, who was a head bartender at the lab, still a very leading figure mm-hmm. in, uh, in the bar industry nowadays, he was very kind because one day he called me and said, Argo, we are opening a Latin-themed bar restaurant. I would like all the stuff to be Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Mexican, and I would love you if you like to be part of the team. So I went on the moon. Right. For me, it was the first step into the... Well, something is happening. We opened Salvador and Amanda in 2003. It still existing yeah. nowadays. And uh, with Remasso, Stefano Francavilla, who nowadays works for uh, Fortaleza Tequila. So we're all the same circle. Mm-hmm. Tequila has a special meaning for all of us since uh, back in the day. Um, 
in there where I also then I met Gabby, who then became my wife. So also the Mexican lady working to the trial shift. And that's it. I decided that uh, that was it. The wonder tequila has a meaning yeah, for you. Yeah, that's the tequila that I was drinking already in Italy. 100% agave tequila. All the good tequila I was searching uh, in London. I said, wow, I think uh, it was a sign of destiny. Right, exactly. So. Now, when you started there and in London, was it really different from what you were doing in Italy? <sighs> Massive. Oh. Massive. It was uh, different. It was uh, huge. It was black and white. In everything. When I arrived here, the first thing I was told is, go, even if you're making a cocktail, you need to talk to people. Cocktail is not enough here. If you want to make a difference, you need to be a, a very good communicator. You need to engage people. Oh, did you not do that in Italy before? Yeah, you do. But when you come to London, it's a cocktail, cocktail, cocktail. Uh, you want to... There's so much more to learn. You have uh, in Italy with a few vodka. In London, you have so many vodka and so many flavored vodka. So many homemade flavored vodka. You start to learn how to make uh, infusion, homemade syrup. It was a lot. All the juices freshly squeezed every day. Plus, you have to ask people how they are. You know? <laughs> so it was, it was a lot to take. It was a lot to take. It was, it was exciting, you know? You know, when you, you know that you're doing something good for you. You're growing as a professional, but also you are developing as a person. How long do you think it took you from, you know, moving here to feeling comfortable really feeling like I have got this now a few years yeah <laughs> I mean you never really can say I got this because there is always something else coming along and there's and, always uh, something to learn but yeah, I mean exactly. where you felt okay this is I can this. start to talk yeah I think it was uh, so from Salvador Amanda I moved uh, in spring 2014 I moved to Dusk which is, was the first cocktail bar south of the river with uh, Nidal Ramini, uh, who was the partner, owner, um, where this fantastic, it was a cocktail club actually, because mm-hmm. the bar was big, it was big, it was, a, it was cocktail-led. We were making so many cocktails every night, everything was with mother fruit, so you were shaking, muddling, it was, it was a labor of passion really. <laughs> every night was a labor of passion, and you felt it all. Two years I was very successful in them. My, I started to make some competition. My name started to raise a little bit in, uh, in the industry. I've always been very independent. I never wanted to be part of any association. No in Italy, no in the UK, because mm-hmm. I, nothing against. I just uh, I wanted to be independent. That's Do it. you remember your first competition? My first Way compet- back when? My first competition in London, yeah, cocktail competition in London, it was uh, it was a gin competition. Well, I guess you were, wait. Wait, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. You said in London. Does that mean you were? You had said that you were competing in yeah. Italy. In Italy, I was doing flair competition. Oh, it was flair. flair. Okay, this one With though cocktail was... making as well. Right. In London, was a cocktail presentation okay. only about ingredients and stuff. It was a gin competition. Um, and I uh, created a cocktail which is still nowadays uh, after 16 years one of my signature and a lot of people they ask for it especially those people they've been following me the cocktail name is a tricolore mm-hmm. like uh, like the, the Italian fly. flag and the recipe is uh, gin lemon juice homemade vanilla sugar caster sugar dry sherry and limoncello 
so yeah, it was a because I was working in a Spanish restaurant. I wanted to use gin because it was uh, was the British aspect. Sherry because of the Spanish uh, touch of the restaurant. Limoncello is a good Italian. Right. And then lemon, lemon and sugar to balance. Um. So it's shaken, served in a martini glass with a classic uh, red cherry on the bottom to give the, 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 fleshy, the fleshy appearance. And this cocktail is uh, listed in different guides as well. Is a... Uh, yeah, See, so it became classic right yeah, away. Classic right away. Can you imagine? So in 2004, 2006, then we opened Montgomery Place. So we need Al. In that Tomiago, we get in this venue in uh, Notting Hill. We want to do something cool. 2006 was when the forgotten classic they start to raise. When uh, in all the bar show in London, they were Jared and Anastasia, dear friend of mine now, coming to UK to do lecture about American cocktail. When all the American, uh, the Groff, all the American people coming to London mm-hmm. to share the American aspect of cocktails. And here it was uh, Nick Strangeway and uh, Harry Besant, God bless him, Dremasso, counterbalancing with the British heritage of cocktail. So there was always this uh, yin and yang. The war America. of the world. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we opened Montgomery Place with uh, the idea to have a small New York style cocktail bar. It wasn't a speakeasy. However, it was beautiful with uh, dark wood, dark leather, all the furniture from Italy bespokely made. It was in this uh, Kensington Park Road. We were surrounded by Italian restaurants. So it was like a, being in an Italian village, but we were this... Uh, Mm-hmm. element of uh, cocktail and uh, Montgomery Place it was very very popular right away because we drawn a lot of attention from the UK industry from mm-hmm. the international industry At the time was when I was a drinkboy.com kind of blog about cocktail um, it's when uh, all the internet started and uh, cocktail lovers uh, start to um, have this uh, chat group and uh, discussion about history of cocktail ingredients mm. as a was a was a the, the bar industry in those years went like uh, the peak was very high it was I very know. very high it was not so easy as now where you google something and then right. you still had to know the people to learn you still had to travel to see you still had to buy books to to compare right. and uh, put in practice what you see in the books and then uh, 2006 2006 I won Best UK Bartender for a class magazine. That was the the biggest uh, competition I won at the time. And, uh, and we start to we start to travel to do a little bit of a guest shift to take the London style with Italian accent to abroad as well. I start to work with uh, Galliano, the Italian liqueur, because they wanted to relaunch the old brand, the, the original formula. So it was the portavoce. Not the ambassador, but portavoce. So okay. because I loved the product when I tasted it the first time, I was so naturally drawn to, to using all the style of cocktail I was presenting. And uh, what better than an Italian bartender to be a figure of uh, an historic Italian liqueur. So I did some travel with them and as well. First time I went to, let's say, for work to US, to Australia, Scandinavia. So it was super exciting. I was well, discovering did you the ever world. think when you were, you know, in that bar in Como 
that this could be the potential of your life? You know? No, I think uh, at the time I felt I was, uh, was going to be like uh, living in Como and uh, grow up there and have a normal life. Right. Or that the profession could even lead yeah. to exactly. such big things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The funny thing is that, um, so when I came to London, uh, photography had completely stopped mm-hmm. because I had no time. No, no even time to think about myself. It was only work, 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 and work. So one summer I went for holiday with uh, my cousin in, uh, in South Italy. And uh, I bought a, it was the first uh, digital camera coming up. I bought a small Sony. I start to take pictures again, a lot of pictures. And the fire started to get back. So it was a good chance to, to go back into photography. I bought again a, a, a bigger camera, a digital camera. I start to take with me to all the travel. So I start to have a kind of, a, I don't know how many thousands of photos I have from all over the world. Mm-hmm. And for sure, if I want to do a book, I have plenty of material. So I start to think, wow, all, all, the, all the dream I had in the past, to travel the world, to meeting people, be a photographer, it's happening. Photography is not my professional, however, it is happening. So I start to realize that uh, you know, I was doing good things in life. When you follow your instincts, when you, you work hard, uh, even that uh, sometimes you have the doors slapping on your face, but you feel that you need to keep on going. Uh, I was reassured that uh, there was uh, the right time. The right thing. Yeah, the right thing to do. So then the Connaught came knocking. So the Connaught came knocking. Like those cliffhangers from the 1940s, we leave you here just before Ago takes over the Connaught bar. And well, the rest. You'll have to join us next week to find out how his and his team's efforts made the Connaught bar what it is today. But we leave you now with our cocktail of the week. One of Ago's creations that has become a classic. Our cocktail of the week, the Malata Daisy, may seem like it's been a classic for years. But Ago created it in 2009, and it led him to victory at the 2009 Bacardi Legacy Final. It's simple to make and a treat to sip. Put all of these ingredients into a shaker. 40 mLs of Bacardi Superior Rum, 20 mLs of freshly squeezed lime juice, 1 bar spoon of castor sugar, a half a bar spoon of fennel seeds, 20 mLs of dark creme de cacao liqueur, and finally 10 mLs of Galliano. Shake all the ingredients over ice and then double strain into a champagne coupe glass. Garnish with cacao powder on the rim. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. So next time, Ago returns at that pivotal moment when he decides whether a hotel bar is for him. It could have turned out so differently. Tune in next week to find out why. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast. For more information and links to everything you've heard, plus a whole lot more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. 
always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. The music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your drinking partner, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar. <laughs>